What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And we have a very special episode for you today. It's something Pat and I are really excited to do. We've been caught in the hecticness, Pat, of having two games a week and transitioning from the non-conference schedule mm. to Big East conference play. So many games, so much going on at once. And of course, this year, of all years, there has been no shortage of things to talk about. <laughs> you could say but that. But as we started this week and we had Georgetown on Monday, we have St. John's on Friday, and then Nova doesn't play another game until next Sunday at the Wells Fargo Center against Providence. Which is going to feel like an eternity, by the way, between Oh, yes. Should be a very fun environment, though, as an oh, aside. Of course, of course. But because we have so much downtime in this next week and a half or so, we thought these next few episodes could be a really great time to mix things up a little bit. So we're going to bring out some cool topics in the next two or three episodes or so. We're super excited about today. Specifically, we're going to give some midterm grades, if you mm. will. But I wanted to throw it to you first, Pat, because I know you wanted to bring something up before we started. Yeah, for sure. So before we put our Villanova professor hats on, uh, we do want to honor uh, the life of Chris Ford. Chris Ford, of course, a Villanovan did pass away earlier today as we record this on January 18th. Uh, Ford appeared in 91 games for Villanova from 1969 through 1972. Uh, the Cats were 65 and 21 during his time at Villanova, of course, with an Elite Eight appearance as well as that 1971 NCAA final where they did fall to UCLA. Uh, over his time, he did average about 16 points a game. Um, <clears throat> and over 1,400 points, and his seven assists per game uh, still remain a Villanova single-season record. Uh, for him as well, uh, as we fast forward in 2006, Villanova did honor and retire his number 42 jersey uh, in the NBA he played 10 years before transitioning to the bench as both an assistant coach and a head coach. He won three NBA titles, uh, one as a player, two as an assistant coach, all with the Boston Celtics. And Jay Wright had tweeted out earlier today as well that Chris Ford was his boyhood idol. So just wanted to honor Chris Ford, the life that he lived, the immeasurable impact he had on Villanova basketball, Villanova community, and, and really Villanova the school and uh, just wanted to honor him before we got into the episode yeah really well said he definitely embodied what it meant to to be a Villanova and I don't think there's any better way to show how much somebody meant to everyone by all the outpouring of of love on Twitter Jay Wright posted you saw Baker Lee Dunleavy post about mm -hmm. it so I really like seeing that just showing how much of an impact he had on all those men me too. I, I mean, this is very recent too when the news came out and Nova released the, the press release with quotes from Kyle Neptune and, and such. And already you can see, as you mentioned, the outpouring that we're seeing. And I think that just speaks to the influence that Ford had really not just during his time with the program, but you know, so many years after he still very clearly had his fingertips all around it. And uh, he will most certainly be missed, but missed by the Nova Nation. Absolutely. So we definitely just wanted to say that we are thinking about his friends and family, but as we transition to this episode and, and the excitement that we have around it, I think this is the perfect time, Pat, to look back on the season. So I gave it away a little bit, but we're going to be giving midterm grades to every player on the team. We're definitely a little bit more than halfway through the season. We debated doing midterm grades through conference play so far, but we wanted to look at the 
holistic season mm-hmm. of every guy that we've seen so far. And we thought the best way to do that was to look at every game this season. Yeah, absolutely. So that was exactly the thought of it. I know we're not exactly in the middle point of the season to be able to do this, but with the lull kind of we have in in games coming up and, you know, still understanding that there is about half of January, a heck of a lot of games go in February and a little bit in March made sense to uh, to take a step back here. And uh, like I said, start to grade, uh, grade some of these guys for what we've seen so far. With the sheer volume of games in February too, I think it'll be feeling like we've, we've got a long way to go. (laughs) (laughs) oh yes we do the season is far from over all right so i ordered my guys based on age do you have anything any different i can go anyway i have grades for all these guys so i have no problem hitting them in any order you want all right i think it i think it made logistical sense this way just to go through order of the team too and importance to the program and how long they have been in this system because I thought you made a really good point on Tuesday's episode about we've we've had a lot of gripes. Everybody's patience has been tested so far this season, but I think it's also easy to lose sight of how hard of a program Villanova is to adapt to and learn. And that's why we see guys take such big jumps from their sophomore to junior season and junior to season, junior to senior season, as opposed to coming in as freshmen and performing right away, which is definitely a difference that we've seen this year. Hmm. But with all that being said, I think we should start with Caleb Daniels and my midterm grade for Daniels so far this season is a B plus. We match there. I also win with a B really? plus uh, on Caleb Daniels. I, I mean, more so why I went the B plus and I think there's more for Caleb to give for this team, but you know, he is being relied on so heavily as the guy to really shoulder the brunt of the scoring. You know, there are games where Dixon doesn't get as many touches. There are games where Whitmore, uh, isn't as effective um, as we know that talent can be for Villanova to succeed. They need Caleb Daniels to pour in points and especially in conference play. I think he's been very, very good. And while he'll go through these colder three point shooting stretches, that can be quite frustrating. And especially the volume that goes with it. He is also the emotional leader for this year's team. And I don't think that can be overlooked how important he is to how everything functions out there. He's always the guy that pulls uh, the different players in to talk to them. You see him talking on the bench. You see him talking to these other guys on on the court with all of that going into mind. I I think B plus is fair for Caleb. Yeah. I think we've been potentially most critical about Daniels as we have on any player on this team because of that emotional leadership that you just brought up. He has been in the system for one of the longest out of anybody. He knows exactly what he's doing. But I think what gets lost sometimes is how much of a role he was forced to take on when he hadn't been relied on as the primary scorer in two years. He was that scorer at Tulane, Mm -hmm. and then he was behind the Gillespie's and Bays and all the other scorers that Villanova has had while he's been there. So I don't think this episode is going to be too numbers heavy, but I did have a few numbers on Daniels because I think it's really stark. So last year he averaged 10 points in just over 27 minutes. He was the potential sixth man of the year. He was really that good. And I know that there's been a push for there to be a sixth man award in college basketball, which I think would be an awesome addition because it's in the NBA. Why not put it here? So 10 points in just over 27 minutes, which is a significant role on that final four team last year. This season, he's averaging more than 16 and a half points in almost 
35 minutes. So yes, his shooting percentages are worse from two and three this year than they were last year. And we've talked a lot about how we wish that Daniels would mix up his repertoire when it comes to getting baskets instead of just putting up 10 to 13 threes a game. But he's averaging more points this year than Colin Gillespie averaged last year. That was just over 15, and that was a team high. So that struck me because that was definitely not as high, or that was way higher than I thought it was going to be. So, yes, Mm -hmm. we've had gripes with Caleb. We have wanted him to go above and beyond. But I think for the role that we expected him to be and the role that he has given, it's extremely effective offensively. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of it also just goes into the circumstances that he's thrust into. You know, last year, Collins points were a little bit down than say what Caleb did this year because he had a Justin Moore, he had a Jermaine Samuels, he had a Caleb Daniels, you know, that he could play off of as other guys that could, you know, you knew could impact games. This team struggles, you know, to find some of that consistent scoring threat outside of it. So I think Caleb's really relied on more heavily which is a difficult role to be thrust in for someone that hadn't really been that, that star leading guy. And I think Caleb has done a, you know, pretty serviceable job at that. Is it perfect? Absolutely not, but it's good enough to be able to get a B plus. Yeah. I feel the same way. And in, in putting perspective, how efficient and effective he is for Villanova, he's top two in the conference in percentage of shots taken and percentage of possessions used in conference play. So he is, as important to Villanova as just about any player is as important to their own team. Yeah, that ball's in his hands all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, take us next. Well, if you're going with the the old heads, well, we can go with another old head here in Brandon Slater. This is where things start to get a little harsh for me. I, <laughs> oh, only I starts. The, <laughs> I hope we're in the same vein here. Um, this one is going to be short and sweet for me just because I do feel like we talk about it all the time. I gave yep. Brandon Slater a C so far this season. Based on expectation, he is severely underachieving. We've mentioned him as the most disappointing player on this team. He shows flashes. It's not great when those flashes are against Georgetown. Hmm. The weird thing about him is that since the 2020 season where we really saw him take a step forward, uh, offensively too not just as the best defensive player on the team but really able to impact offensively his two and three point percentages has gone down but he's averaged more points a game so you would expect that to take another leap it has he's averaging just over 10 but it doesn't feel like he's impacting the game as much as we know that he can and as mm-hmm. much as this team needs which absolutely is the most frustrating part for everybody to watch yeah very similar i was slightly less on him where I went with a C plus actually for first later. So still not good by any means because the disappointment, but just giving us the length that Brandon Slater does knowing that there have been games where he's come out and impacted. Now it most certainly has not been consistent like this team needs it to be. I think that's really important. You know, you think of how, how much difficulty this team can have on interior defense as well as rebounding. He's still one of the most important players there which were kind of my saving graces for him, but otherwise, you know, aligned with everything you said there on what goes against him, which is why Brandon Slater only gets a C plus for me when I would, you know, going into the year, I would have expected that grade to be much, much higher. Yeah. He can still make free throws. That That's exactly. the saving grace for me. He's shooting it's so literally important. 91%. Yeah, it's crazy. Line, Get to the free throw line, Slater. Absurd. Yeah. All right. You want to move to Chris Arch? Another, another tough one. We Let's do it. <laughs> so those are the two fifth year seniors. 
the other senior who was expected to have his fifth year next year, this is one that I really actually went back and forth about. This was my my second and final C. Another numbers heavy one because this one actually blew my mind a little bit. Arch averages almost 30 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. But those minutes are being used in a uh, peculiar manner is maybe the best word I can think of Ooh, it. Say more. Last year, we spent so much time on the podcast talking about Jay Wright's coaching habits and why he was playing Arch so much. Arch averaged less than 10 minutes a game last year. So if you thought that was something this year, you're probably facing even more angst about it. But Arch just isn't an entity on offense. He does a lot of things well. He shoots free throws well. He takes charges. He doesn't turn the ball over. But what tangibly is he bringing to this offense and defense is I think what people have the issue with. And the two things that I point to are that he has made 20 field goals on the season. Brendan Hawson has made 19 mm. in 397 less minutes. That's a great point. And I found this today, literally, as I was researching. There is an a nearly invisible category yeah, I know. on the yeah, Ken, on Palm Ken Palm site. Yeah. <laughs> and that means that the player is used in less than 12% of a team's possessions. Chris Arch is in that category, which... Might not be surprising when you look at his stat sheet, but he averages the fourth most minutes on this mm-hmm. team. So it feels like something's got to give, and you would assume that means less minutes, which has definitely seemed like the trend as of late. But that was why I couldn't go any higher than a C here. Oh, you're you're scaring me because we're we're aligning, um, and I don't want to align on these. I also gave him a C, and I, I gave him a C because I don't think he fails for for grading wise you know there are things that he can bring there's the there is something to be said for the steadiness for the rebounding for you know a bit of the defensive side that is there but to your point there is just not enough of an impact for me to go any higher than a c and i mean we can look at the numbers just in conference play uh as well for him where he has really struggled to to find ways to get into the game here he's averaging 2.4 points a game in, in conference play and that's it's very difficult um, to get that sort of output from your you know, starting point guard, basically, how, how things are looked at. Now, I understand that he has a different role, all that good stuff. Don't need to don't need to be explained it. Um, but I, I think you need more of an impact to get a higher percentage grade um, than a C. Yeah. And to his credit, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter from former Villanova players and in that Twitter spaces that the Christian Ralph from the full 40 put out about how much the players love arch i really mm-hmm. feel like he's got the full program behind him and i'm not against that but something that i've remembered because i thought it was such a good point it was in the vu hoops group chat at one point it was just talking about where he slots in to this rotation and he's not the point guard because he's only averaging about two assists and i don't think you would label him as a facilitator yeah. of the offense but he's also not a shooting guard because he doesn't shoot so where does that leave him? And He's a hybrid. Yeah, that's where it gets a little bit tough. Uh, it it certainly does. Um, to so justify that's what, minutes, I should say. Yeah. And yep, I think that is a completely fair way of looking at it. So yeah. uh, two C's uh, for us there. I wonder where we're gonna vary here. You want to take Longino next? I said you want to go Eric Dixon just to stay on oh, the, yeah, the yeah, age yeah, frame. Well, so we'll, we'll, let's start with Eric Dixon. 
you go first on this one. Sure. Um, I went with to match Caleb Daniels. I went with a B plus for Eric Dixon. Um, I would have loved to have gone higher on Eric. I just think that some of the defensive deficiencies have shown through, especially lately for him. Um, that has been a little bit of a problem. Now, it's not all his fault. You know, we've talked about it before. He is asked to play, especially defensively, as that traditional center. And he is not built like a Donovan Klingon, a Joel Soriano, uh, and a Dama Sanogo uh, to be able to, uh, you know, defend the the paint and really come through with blocks like that. So I, I take it away from him a little bit there. I would still like to see him really take over games more because I think he's that talented and it just hasn't happened. Now, can you say that's not his fault and that's game planning? Absolutely. Can you say, you know, I want to see Eric Dixon demand the ball and work things down in the paint and really run through games through him? I'd love to see him try and take a game by the scruff of the neck and say, this one is mine. And I haven't seen that there, but that said, it's still been a very, very strong season for Eric. You know, he's almost doubled his points per game from nine to 16. And as we look through the entire season, there has not been a single game where he has scored less than double digit points. Like he has been a a model of consistency for this team. He's so incredibly important. He just loses some marks to the defensive side of the ball. And, and, you know, that's where I, I mostly take those away. So a B plus for Eric Dixon. So I'm going to disagree here. I actually gave Dixon my highest grade. That was a straight A. A straight 95. I I really like all the points you brought up. Mm -hmm. My answer is he's not being asked to do any of those things offensively. I still think that he has over exceeded expectations every single season. This This year even more than last year. And last year he took a humongous jump. You mentioned the doubling of points. He's playing significantly more minutes. He's shooting better from around the floor. The only category that that's down is the three-point percentage, but that's because he's attempted more than double what he yeah. took last year, and we're doing midterm grades right now. So gives you a little bit of perspective there. I do think the defense as of late has been a little bit concerning. You saw Deshaun Nelson of DePaul pretty much dominate him. Zach Fremantle, too. Zach Fremantle. Uh, Kudus Wahab, I th- thought, did a good job against him in the first half of that Georgetown game. But I'm still waiting for the Sonogo, the Nunji, the Klingon to dominate him, and they mm-hmm. haven't yet. And it's still early. The Igodaros, uh, the Prospers of Marquette's even. I feel, I feel like Dixon stepped up in those type of games. Kalkbrenner will be another test when that happens. Yeah, Soriano on, on Friday. Yeah. I mean, Soriano had a good game against Villanova the first time through, and he's on a real heater right now uh, for the Johnny. So that's uh, that's another good test. He might still be the leading double-double player in I believe division so. one basketball he was at that point at one point in the season so yeah I, I'm a little bit higher on Dixon than you are I get all those points about the offense yes I would like to see him have the the UConn type game that he had last year with 24 points I think it was unfortunately I don't think it's his fault that he's not doing yeah. that though because the game plan just isn't focused on feeding him every single basket I can probably be talked into an A minus for yeah. for Dixon for it, and then a part of it most certainly is my frustration that he just doesn't see the ball more than he does because <laughs> you're taking it out on him. I I kind of am, so I apologize for that, Eric. But that's uh that's the main way I would grade him. So no, I I definitely wouldn't say that you're low on Dixon by any. No, I didn't give him a C. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I still think that he is being severely underrated in the national landscape, and I think he, he is. probably 
prospers under that. So keep it it's going. Be- it's because there are so many good bigs in this conference, yeah. so many of them, and because he's not a true true big, you know, yeah, as we were talking not blocking about, four shots a game. Exactly, yeah. he just doesn't get looked at in that light, and it's not fair to him because he really is a monster, and I, I yeah. love Eric Dixon. I do. I feel the same exact way, and you, we can only imagine what the step next year will be. That is definitely a bright spot. So now we can move to Longino. Mm-hmm. Definitely an interesting one because he is expected to miss some more time because of that yeah. hamstring injury. My hardest one to grade, honestly, was Jordan really? Longino. Yes. I actually had the hardest time with Arch, I thought. We got some of the tough ones out of the way early for me. Um, but yeah, Longino is an interesting case because of the injury history, honestly, because of last year, too. And just his role in Villanova chatter and what this team has looked like over the past two seasons. So I gave him a B plus. It was a little bit higher than I initially thought. I think just after last year, when, again, all of the talk was around how much better this team could have been if Jay Wright had played the young guys, those young guys, plural, meaning basically just Jordan Longino, who had the meniscus injury in the Big East tournament, wasn't able to play in the NCAA tournament. His shooting percentages this year are significantly higher. He's averaging an incredible more minutes per game than he did last year. But the reason why I moved him up so high in my grade was because of the defensive improvement Mm -hmm. and how impressive to me it is that he became the guy who's drawing the toughest defensive assignment. And that was Sadiq Bey's assignment of years past. Justin Moore's, Brandon Slater. It seemed like Slater and Longino were 1A, 1B on defense. And you couldn't have a more perfect time to see how much of an impact he had than when he's not on the floor and Villanova's just getting crushed defensively. I, as I said, I deeply struggled um, with this one and I was going between a B minus and a B and mm. I, I finished at a B minus. And the reason why I finished at a B minus is just a lack of consistency yeah, uh, from him. Point. I mean, when it's there, it's there. And and by the way, again, this is a midterm grade. This is not how I view Jordan Longino as a potential player for this program. I think he's a building block, like foundational piece for Villanova going forward. Uh, just the poor kid cannot get any sort of luck with his legs right now in, in terms of health. And th- this year, you know, struggled a bit with that consistency. But again, health factored into that because we know we had, he had that inflammation pop up and really bother him. Uh, you know, a big thing I look on the offensive side is that there have been five games this season where he hasn't even attempted a two-point field goal. I think that's kind of crazy when you look at Jordan Longino and the strengths, you know, that come with him really, he he fits that build so nicely of that slashing wing, that next in line of the Villanova wing players. And it just, he hasn't fully gone to that. It's been a little bit more on the exterior where he struggled. He shot 28% um, from beyond the arc here to your point defensively. He, I think he is so important to this team and it is not exactly um, a coincidence that Villanova has struggled so dearly lately defensively with him being out since that Georgetown game on January 4th, because he is such a key aspect in, in the switches, in the rotations and being able to guard, you know, multiple guys across four positions, really across the floor. Longino is kind of that guy there, but I couldn't give him higher because of consistency issues. And because of, I think just offensive philosophy has been off this year. However, I love Jordan Longino, and he is a player that I am so, so excited for in his future. And, and once he gets healthy, I think can most certainly right the ship. A hundred percent. And it's tough because we'll never know how much the injury impacted so the beginning of his yep. season, right? Because it looked like at times that shot forced. He was short on almost every single shot he took. 
I'm starting to second guess my B plus. I'll be honest with you. I maybe I'll say it's very generous, very B. generous, but I, just I, because yeah. the, the the lack of offense at times. Yeah. He started off hot offensively. Remember, he was averaging right. over 10 points a game those first couple of weeks, but then that knee inflammation really started to creep in and and you saw the offensive numbers come straight down. Yeah. I guess my my last point about him is that I don't know if he'll ever be relied upon to be a key offensive hog in this Villanova program. So maybe my expectations for him offensively are just less mm-hmm. or lower than a lot of other players. I'm not going out and expecting even 10 from Longino. It would be a huge boost, but just based on what we've seen, I don't know if that can be the reasonable expectation. I think it's doable, but I think next year is really the year where we can yeah. potentially see an explosion from him. I hope so, as long as he can stay healthy. Stay and, healthy. And Villanova will need him as soon as he comes back from that hamstring injury. <laughs> yeah, literally, he'll have to he'll have to impact right away. Put, yeah. Let's hope that the return is closer to that two week period, um, because they they desperately need him back. Agreed. So I don't think you can go to another player besides Trey Patterson after the Jordan Longino conversation. Can do you? <laughs> No, I mean, there's one other sophomore here in, in Nana, but we can we can go with Trey. You, do you want so, me to start or do you want to start? I'll start with Patterson. It's yeah. it's short for me. I think I gave him a C. I think every single season we've labeled him as the X factor because maybe more so in the last two years than in this year because we had more of a sample size coming into this year. But even sample size is a loose term because he has never been able to log meaningful minutes until Jordan Longino's injury the issue is that he isn't reliable enough to log minutes to log impactful minutes when necessary so it feels like they're putting some tape over a big crack in the wall (laughs) it's not a a wound (laughs) yeah it's not a long-term solution i don't know if anybody ever actually thought that but you would hope that there would be more impact there and there's just not Oh, you are you are making me feel like I'm one of my econ professors from my time at Villanova as a as a difficult grader here because uh, I gave Trey a D. Um, Interesting. And, it, and I, I gave him the D just because, you know, we we look at this season. There was there was a role for Trey Patterson to grasp and to really grow into. You know, with Jermaine Samuels exiting, with Cam Whitmore out for the first you know month plus of the season. Villanova needed some front court depth and they needed some wing depth and Patterson had the opportunity to really come in and and get that first crack at it. And what happens? He doesn't score a point until December 10th against Boston college. You know, he, he struggles with the defensive rotations. There are times where he lets guys in on, on rebounding. He just, he hasn't grasped opportunities that have been given to him. And because of that, there was a stretch where you barely saw him, you know, enter in games um, and play very limited minutes or not get into a game at all. Um, so I, I I think it's pretty disappointing the season we've gotten from Patterson here, and, and that is why I go so harsh for him on a D. Now, I've said it basically every time we've talked about Trey Patterson, I am rooting for him. Like, man, it would be so important for him to develop into a player that can, you know, provide some sort of impact off the bench, whether it be defensively, whether it be, you know, giving them some some additional size. It just it hasn't happened yet. And because of that, I, I have to grade using that criteria. I literally let off the show saying Villanova is a really tough program to adapt to. Yeah. And Trey Patterson has had more time than most. So it really stinks that it's taking him the longest of anybody. That factors into he had the yeah. extra half semester. Um, where because he was the expectations were acclimated. higher from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And he, it's not like he was some, uh, a, like a not ranked recruit. You know, Trey Patterson came in here with some pedigree from Rutgers prep and, 
It just did. Thus far, it hasn't worked. Yeah, so the reason I didn't go to Nana and Joku next was because I honestly forgot that he hasn't played in the last few games <laughs> or that he did play at the beginning of the season because he hasn't played in so many games <laughs> so you That's take awesome. this one uh very simple to your point i gave him an incomplete because it's impossible i was gonna say to, uh, N-A. Yeah. yeah exactly it's it's impossible to to grade on out we've barely seen him this season honestly we rarely saw him him last year as well he's featured in four games he's totaled eight minutes he hasn't scored a point um, the last time we saw him was also that December 10th game uh, against BC. So um, still a little bit of a mystery man. We know he's been dealing with, you know, foot leg injuries and such, which is why he's been sitting out lately. Um, but there's nowhere near enough data to be able to give him a grade. Yeah, eight, eight minutes feels like a little premature. Just I a bit. totally agree. <laughs> Just a bit. Chris uh, Arch averages over three times that per game. Yeah, that's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, I just, the way things work out angelo brizzy committed to davidson yes definitely a program that i think he will fit well in so i'm excited I, I to see that fit. what I, he can do there i i also i have to mention uh was you know talking to uh to my girlfriend megan about this episode beforehand because i was so excited and going through the players and the grades and i said angelo brizzy as a joke and she said wx and uh she's not wrong he, uh, he, <laughs> he withdrew he, he yeah. withdrew <laughs> So credit but to Megan for that one. It's just, it's wild how it works out because he would have gotten significantly more minutes because of Longino's injury. Who knows where the defense would have gone, but I definitely could have seen him doing a little bit offensively, maybe more than Patterson's bringing. So it's just wild how that always seems to happen. Uh, but- I'm sad enough. So I'm not going to talk about what I think Angelo Brizzi <laughs> can turn into. Yeah. All right. Where do you want to start with the freshman here? Ooh. How about we go with the one that we've seen the most of thus far? Uh, and Love that would it. be Mark Armstrong. Um, so we'll start there. You know how much of a fan I, I am of, of Mark Armstrong and how much I believe in, in his potential. But even with that, I had to give him a B minus here. And again, this is not talking about his potential. This is just what we've seen. And why I give him that B minus to to start on the negative side of things is that there have been enough games where he hasn't grown into it and hasn't found a way to imprint them enough that to, for me to give him more of the benefit of the doubt, I would love to, but there have been too many games where, you know, it's a two point performance. It's a four point performance. It's four fouls. It's five fouls in in quick succession for me to be able to go higher than that. Now, when Mark Armstrong is on Mark Armstrong is on and that grade goes way up. It is at least a B if not a B plus, eh, probably not a B plus still, but is at least a B um, for me, because you can see all the things, whether it be physical attributes or, or even intangible attributes that I think he brings to this program. So it's just, again, it's more of a consistency thing. It's more of, there have been too many games that I think have kind of passed him by that I give him the lower grade, but man, that potential you feel good about. Yeah. I, I also actually gave him a B minus and it hurt a little bit. Because, yeah. It hurt again, me too. When you look against Georgetown, he averages 14 points That's in over 28 yep. minutes with just one turnover. That's great. But on the season, it's five points in 18 minutes. So the inconsistency is tough to justify. And he was another one of those guys where I realized, like, wow, we're more than halfway through the season and he's had good games. But I don't know if on a whole you can say that his season has been better than average and i think that's above a b so that's why i was just below that Mm -hmm. going to the positive side i don't think he is the other freshman i yep 
strongly believe that actually he's explosive. He can be really efficient and he's just different. I love the way the offense looks when he's on, but it'll be all about him striking that balance between impacting the game offensively, really making himself known and keeping himself out of turnover and foul trouble. If I had to pick any of these guys that I think could really raise their grade from midterms to uh, finals, Mark Armstrong would be the guy that I pick out from this list. Cause I look at it, how much more, you know, Eric Dixon will say, you know, a minus for him, Caleb Daniels, B plus, you know, is it that how much higher can, can they go there? Mark Armstrong. I just, I think you see that well of potential and know that when it's on, like it was against Georgetown, if he can channel that more, that grade definitely goes up. Yeah. I would like to hold out hope for Slater, but maybe I'm just setting myself up to be disappointed. Hey, I hope so too. I do. All right. So let's go to Brendan Hawson next and we'll say Whitmore for last. I know I'm keeping people on the hook here. I like it. If you'll notice, I have been saying Brendan Hawson all episode. Uh, It's it's Hawson now. That's the way we're moving forward. Again, literally, my last name is literally Houghton. So I can (laughs) appreciate the mispronunciation and I hope that we're saying it right now. So for Hazen, again, you have to weigh all of these grades differently. It's like taking AP classes versus non-AP classes. You have to weigh expectation versus reality. So Trey yep. Patterson's C is different from Brandon Slater's C. In the same vein, the B that I'm going to give Hazen is different than the B- minus that I gave Mark Armstrong. I think if I had graded Hazen's non-conference schedule I would have given him an A because I thought he was a lethal contributor to that offense which was completely out of the realm of possibility for me at the beginning of the season but since conference play has started whether it be the caliber of opponent or just the the tempo of the games picking up the tempo of the schedule he hasn't been as knocked down from three I'm starting to wonder a little bit if playing the zone when Hosen comes in is worth it because he does struggle so much defensively. You see Neptune go to the zone almost immediately as soon as he clocks in. Yep. I still err on the side of the offense is worth it because when they need a shot, I'm still pretty comfortable going to him. But you do wonder when they play the really good shooting teams like the Xaviers and the Yukons and the Marquettes. I don't know how quickly those teams are going to be able to shoot out of the zone. And that's when things could start to get ugly. Yeah, no, I, I totally see what you're saying there. I went with a C plus uh, for him and why no. I, why I did was mostly the defensive side for, for uh, the downside for it. It's, it's tough for me to grade higher when it actually is whenever he checks in Villanova has to change their defensive system. I, I, I think that's obviously a, you know, a a downside for a player there. And I, I struggle with that. And then on terms of, you know, the offensive side of the ball, exactly what you referenced. I mean, there was almost a month stretch where he was held scoreless. And of course, that's what Hawson is, is here to do is to is to light it up from three. So we haven't seen him really get into the offensive groove that we saw earlier in the season. If you asked me, you know, six weeks ago, you definitely would have gotten a higher grade from him. I just, I, I think we've seen some struggles of late. Now, with that said, I would still like to see him channel some more minutes here and, and really, you know, get him involved on offense, see what happens when you, you know, were able to run him around on defense. And let's find out what we have in, in Brendan Halls and, and how things can work in that system. But just understanding some of the limitations that have been there, um, I go with, uh, I go with a C plus. So my counterpoint is a question mm-hmm. and it is, 
does he get any extra points because his impact was considered a zero at the beginning of the season? So anything he's given so far has been more than you expected? It was because if you remember, actually, in my in the preseason, I thought that there was a chance that he was the odd man out of the rotation because I had a feeling the defense was going to be a little tricky. Yeah, I thought um, he would redshirt. Yeah, I, I would not have been surprised by that at all. Now, did I predict that Angelo Brizzy was going to leave the program? Uh, Jordan Longino would be dealing with injuries? Absolutely not. So, of course, that, that opened up a little bit more time for him. But Hawson really from, you know, game one, he got in and played eight minutes against LaSalle. He played 12 minutes against Delaware State. Like, he... Neptune definitely wasn't afraid to go to him. And I, I give, honestly, I give Kyle credit um, for that there. So yeah, he has given more than I thought. And I'm honestly, I'm very happy that we've seen more than him because it allows us to create a bit more of a picture for housing going into year two, which I think is really important because we know how much change is going to shift around this program. Uh, I just, I still go with that C plus um, because he's here to impact games offensively and really knock shots down. And really, it's uh, it's been a bit of a struggle since uh, really going back to that Boston College game was the last time I think we really saw him play well from back there. Yeah, you're totally right. And I guess my counterpoint to my counterpoint is that <laughs> I don't think he is a peripheral rotation piece. I think he is. No, I want him to get more minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, it, he's giving what he gives. And now when he doesn't give stuff, I think Villanova's offense and then defense consequently feels it. Mm-hmm. So to his credit he he really is playing a part in, in this team so far this season yeah no no matter how we we grade these freshmen i think we all or meaning me and you feel pretty good about what we've seen from armstrong and Hausen, Hausen, excuse me uh moving forward um and, and kind 100%. of the the building block pieces for them to uh to grow off of as we move into subsequent years now the interesting one i yes. want you to go first with whitmore absolutely cam whitmore so yeah we saved this one for last uh, i gave a b to to cam whitmore and and why i gave a b i mean i looked across my grades entirely and said you know if caleb daniels and eric dixon are my high scorers at b plus you know for for me cam whitmore hasn't been there in terms of reliability um you know it's not really fair to count the injury against him in terms of that but there's also you know how much of that injury is impacting him to go into it i think we've seen you know some struggles uh from him to to fully adapt for um you know taking the right shots and and defensively and turnovers and all that but i mean throw all that out the window and you just see the ridiculous ability that this kid has i mean in georgetown he was dunking all over everybody um in, in multiple times and being able to run the floor he's got the ability to pull up and, and knock down threes though i still think he takes some some bad shot selection from it but you know he can hit it uh defensively he's been a really important piece for adding some length to this team and especially adding some rebounding for a team that's so desperately needed I, i've been pretty happy with what i've seen from whitmore all things considering there are certainly downsides he is not blowing away the college game by any means but he's doing a pretty good job for having limited practice time and joining a team that in all honesty, as we know, is struggling. So with that, for me, I'm comfortable giving him a B. So I gave him a B plus and I thought that was going to be low. So I am shocked. Yeah. I really expected you to be higher. I thought the general public would be higher. My opening thought is that he's as explosive as we thought. Yep. Highlighted by all those highlight reels that we continue to see. But the reason why I was able to go a little bit higher than you is that he's as impactful as he as we hoped he would be. And I don't think it's coincidental that he came back when he did. 
really tough missing those first seven games. You can wonder about how this team would have started if he had been in there. I think what made this team so much better when he was inserted into the lineup was the defensive stability it got because of him because his build is so unique and he's able to guard so many different positions. The scoring has always been there. It definitely hasn't been a disappointment when he's right, but you're right. If, if Armstrong issue is consistency and inconsistency, I think you have to put Whitmore in the same sentence because there have been times where we've been disappointed in how little Whitmore has affected the game. If you want to talk about minutes, I think that's fair to bring that up because there have definitely been times where he did not play as many minutes as we would have hoped. It's definitely on the upward trajectory, but I I definitely concede that point. My biggest issue with Whitmore, and I think what's preventing him from taking that huge leap forward, which I, again, midterm grades, he still has the whole rest of the season to do. Mm -hmm. The mistakes that he does make seem magnified. They just seem like mistakes that a player of his caliber shouldn't be making. They're overzealous. They're lackadaisical at times. He doesn't always hustle back. He always seems to rebound with a steal or a wicked athletic play that makes you forget it. But I think largely because he's a freshman, we lose sight of how young or because, because of how good he is. I messed that up because of how good he is. We lose sight that he's a freshman and I'm reminded of that every once in a while. That, that's fair. And let me take a, a point of yours and just to expand on it a little bit. You know, you said explosiveness wise, he's been everything that we thought. I agree. I think refinement wise, he hasn't been there, that there are some, you know, things in his game to continue to work on um, that we've seen have popped up here at this level that teams have been able to exploit a little bit there. But and, and then, you know, take it into perspective you know, th- this is a nine and 10 team. Like when I was grading it, I I don't think I could have just looked at it and given out A's and, and really great stuff, which is why B pluses are, you know, the, the best grades you get from me. And then Cam Whitmore is the sole B. So I still graded him as the third, you know, best player thus far on the team. It's just, it's difficult for me to, you know, increase those grades, understanding how the team is performing as a whole. Yeah. So I gave my one A out to Dixon, two B pluses to Daniels, in Whitmore, I'll be honest. I I'm, I whiffed on Longino. B plus was way too high. I'm gonna take that back. I That's like right. the B-. Sometimes you gotta regrade. <laughs> I'm regrading. It seems like you're you were traumatized by that econ professor. So I, I hope you're you're still not have... dealing with that trauma. Still. No, I yeah. am. No, I definitely. But I'm am. gonna have to go back and and rework that. But yeah, I felt the same way. You can't be too generous with these grades, despite how talented Daniels can be and how talented Dixon is this isn't a winning team right now. So yeah, you definitely had to keep that in mind when you're grading these players. Yeah. So that went by quickly. I, I agree with a lot of yours. I think not surprisingly, I'm a little bit more positive than you are shocking. What? No way. For the three years that we've been doing a podcast <laughs> together. Um, so you may have noticed that we did not give a grade to Kyle Neptune, similar to Hinata and Joku with the eight minutes. We didn't feel like half a season for a second year head coach overall first year at Villanova was the proper amount of time to fully judge Kyle Neptune's tenure so far. 
Yeah, exactly. Just we want the full picture uh, of the season before we even start grading it. And even with that, obviously, a coach still deserves more time. Um, But, you know, you've heard our thoughts on on Neptune throughout the season and some of the things that we've agreed with, some of the things we've disagreed with. So didn't feel it needed to have a grade associated with it for now. But more on that uh, when we get to the end of the season. Good and bad, kind of like everybody else on the roster. That's what happens when you're nine and ten. So I think a good point to launch off of as we preview St. John's a little bit on Friday tomorrow as you're listening to this is the person or the player that you think can take the biggest sleep and you're sticking with Armstrong on that one I you saw it with Armstrong uh, against Georgetown I'd say Armstrong and Slater are the two that like hello we saw some life out of uh, on Monday um you know let's keep that going and see if they can continue to uh, to grow into it it's tough against St. John's because their defense is so good. Uh, I mean, in just the last two games against Butler and UConn, they've forced 22 and 21 turnovers, which is just insane. So, you know, it, for a guy like Mark, it's going to be really important to to hold on to the ball and, and not give it away. And for Slater, you know, you know that Dixon is going to have his hands full dealing with Soriano. So is he able to give the Cats a, another option to uh, to try and get things going if things start to stagnate? Yeah, I'll throw Whitmore into the big jump mix. I do agree that Armstrong and Slater are the two big guys. But if Whitmore can cut down on the mistakes that we talk about and just focus on the refinement, I thought I think that's the perfect word for it. Imagine how much better he could get. Just not dunk just over the everybody. highlights. Yeah, not just the highlight stuff, but keeping the ball, getting to the free throw line a little bit more. It feels like he can unlock a whole new level that would just freak out everybody and well, i guess we can the, hope he's playing at the garden too you know that's I, huge you Big think state. like a kid like cam whitmore like he he's going to be playing at madison square garden in road games most likely uh unless the knicks somehow find a way to get him but that's not going to happen because the knicks are going are right now having a decent year thanks to our friend jalen yeah. brunson uh yeah. but i digress um you know, how how important that's going to be for a kid like Whitmore to go to the Garden, get to play in that on a Friday night game against a Big East opponent. Like, that's awesome. I personally can't wait to watch this game from home here. So it's going to be a really cool uh, opportunity for those guys to be out there. Um, you know, St. John's obviously gaining some steam right now. Of course, started conference play horribly um, at, at one and five, but dominated Butler. And then in all honesty, especially in the second half, dominated the Connecticut Huskies. So St. John certainly has a ton of momentum behind them right now. This is a great opportunity for Cam Whitmore to show out at the world's most famous arena and, and try to claw the Cats to a win. The conference is better when St. John's is better. Oh, yes, and it is. I think it has been a roller coaster season, to say the least. It always feels like St. John's is a bubble team. Yep. This year was finally the year that I was out on them, and I was wrong again. I don't know if you were. Started in all getting honesty. more right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It just always feels like St. John's is about two wins away from being a really good team. They got that win against UConn. I feel like a win against Nova would really put them in a in a different category. This isn't one that Villanova can lose. I think this is a, a really tough road environment. I remember a few weeks ago, Pat, we were talking about how the win against St. John's, 78-63, that 15-point win, was one of the best wins Villanova has had this season. Positive vibes only. Yeah. So was that the episode? Positive. That was. Yeah. Not that. Yeah, they're going to have to stop Joel Suriano, who was able to take Sonogo and clinging, which is a huge test, and he did it well. Uh Curbello came off the bench against UConn. I'm doing that monitoring lately. that. Yeah. Yeah. The last three games, I think Curbello's been coming off the bench there. 
Um, Mike Anderson's been relying on youth. Yeah, he's been going with youth with Rafael Pinzon. Then AJ Store has been starting the last couple of games. And if you haven't watched AJ Store, I know he didn't feature or didn't play too much of a prominent role in that first Villanova um, St. John's game. He is a very talented freshman guard. Uh, He's been growing into his role very well for the Johnnies. And I would expect him to start again um, on Friday night. So Store has been important with how they run things. Uh, Anderson's really been rotating that point guard position. Uh, Posh and Corbello have been splitting duties a, a bit, and that's why you've seen Corbello kind of move to the bench here. But Store also has the ability uh, to handle the ball a little bit. Um, they, this is a tough St. John's team. It, it is. I, Villanova did a great job against them at home. Uh, the Johnnies kind of went into a bit of a rut, but it's what makes St. John's St. John's. They're Jekyll and Hyde, and uh, yeah. and right now they are riding one of their highs. So the, the, at home, you know, this is going to be a difficult game. Turnovers have been an issue for Villanova as of late. Uh, 11 against Butler and 14 against DePaul. Both of those were road games as well. So it doesn't feel like the opponent matters as much now as Villanova being on the road. That has been a huge weakness for them so far this season. And St. John's is going to try and exploit every single weakness they have. They're going to put up a lot of three-point shots. They did that. Against you, uh, against Villanova earlier this season, even though they're not that good of a three-point shooting team, they're going to push the tempo as fast as I can. They're going to go down low and try and test Dixon. They're going to have their guards just run the court because Villanova is not a good defensive team. Everything that we've talked about all season long, I think we're going to see St. John's throw darts at the wall, see what sticks. Villanova just has to stick to their own game plan. I bet you we see a shift in game plan from St. John's and they shot 25 threes against Villanova on December 21st. I will be very surprised if they hit that number uh, again really? on Friday night. I think they're going to try and go inside and bully Villanova because we've seen that some of the bigs lately have been able to take advantage of the Cats. So I wouldn't be surprised if they really try and push things on the interior. But if that doesn't work, we know that Villanova most certainly has a bit of a three-point uh, defense issue. So um, that could pop up as well. But that's just that's just my uh, thoughts on how St. John's is going to look to approach this game. Yeah, I'll stick to the three-point shot, and I guess we'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Both <laughs> ways definitely definitely pose some issues. But yeah, they've got they've got St. John's and then that Providence game the following week. So they're amply rested. Rest definitely isn't an issue. It's going to be a tough environment as always. And I think this this is an important game for Villanova to build on. The so you you know, you mentioned the road stuff and you're dead right. You know, Villanova has two true road game wins this year, and they are St. Joe's and Georgetown, which I don't think makes you feel great about the two true road wins. Um, yeah. you know, both of them coming in over two hundredth uh in the country. But saving grace here against playing um St. John's is that we know Nova Nation shows out and we know they most certainly show out at Madison Square Garden. So yes, so I, I expect there to be a ton of St. John's red there. But you know, the, it's not the same as a trip to Creighton. Um True. I think you're gonna see a, a lot of Nova Nationers in the crowd. Yeah, that's a great point. I know that the full 40 was talking about doing a meetup before, during, or after the game. So Yes, they they are both going, absolutely. I yeah. uh, wish I could be there, but I will not be there, unfortunately, Same. on Friday. Same. Will be cool, though. I, I really am excited to watch. I think this could be a game that moves the team in a in a different direction. I'm, I'm hopeful of that, at least. Yeah, no, totally. All right, we've got some fun questions before we leave. We most certainly do. So... 
where do we want to start with this one? Uh, let's start with Big Tasty, our man Big Tasty, by the way, who continues to throw us questions week after week. So thank you very much for doing so. Uh, two questions from him. First one, I love how he frames it. In all seriousness, what in the world is going on with recruiting? <laughs> I forgot that that was a question. <laughs> That's good. No, it's, um, it's bordering on concerning now, mm-hmm. I think. I think when... Dumont signed it had been quiet but there had been a lot going on so we were willing to justify it it is starting to be a little bit plain weird that more recruits haven't followed in his wake you you feel the same amount of concern that I do uh there is certainly some concern with it and in all honesty I'm not sure how much steam is going to pick up on the 2023 trail just based on where we are uh, you know, Chris Parker, of course, is really the other one that's out there uh, really for Villanova. He did delay that recruitment decision he was supposed to announce in December. That's been delayed indefinitely. That's mostly between Villanova and Alabama. In all honesty, Alabama is a difficult program uh, to beat out. You know, you would imagine that NIL is great down there for Alabama with all the money pouring in for through football. Nate Oates is a very good basketball coach. Um, that is not an easy get for Villanova. Um, and he's mostly the one that they've been watching here for 2023s. Otherwise, the trail's pretty cold. But 24, I can tell you that there's a little bit more out there. Uh, they did offer to Caleb Williams, who is a three-star uh, out of Sidwell Friends, which may sound familiar because very recently Sadiq Bay was a recruit out of Sidwell Friends. Um, Bryson Tucker is probably the top guy that they're looking at at the moment. He is a five-star. Uh, he's got offers from like Michigan state and Duke on, on top of Villanova IMG Academy guy. So again, a little bit of familiarity though with roots because Jeremiah Robinson Earl came from IMG. Um, and then as we look at 24 as well, Sir Muhammad, a four-star wing, uh, offers from schools like Michigan, Notre Dame, Cincinnati to go with Villanova. So the 24 trail is a little warmer and there's a few more breadcrumbs for us to follow there. 23, uh, not a lot other other than Dumont, you know, a a potential Chris Parker, you know, I I guess you always leave the door open for something like Sadiq Bay. If you'll remember, you know, he was not part of Villanova's recruiting class and then, you know, left NC state late to then enroll at Villanova and uh, the rest turned out rather well for the Wildcats. So I guess you can't rule out something like that happening, but seriously, it's going to be internal development and transfer portal for this roster next year. Cause uh, other than Dumont, I'm not sure how much can be relied upon coming in on that recruiting trail. I guess my my point is that even with a robust recruiting class, there would still be so many holes to fill that you'd have to go to the transfer portal anyway. For sure. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, Second question comes in from Big Tasty. Nova fans have been praised for sensing the situation at hand. And there he refers to a Dana O'Neill tweet kind of about Villanova fans showing up for the uh, Oklahoma game at Wells Fargo and scolded for the booing on Monday. What is your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I alluded to this. I think this is a phenomenal question and and just noticing that and the inside this is really impressive this is what i alluded to about the alumni group being behind arch because what he's referencing is when neptune took out whitmore and put in arch and diakono you were at the game you agree with that uh can confirm uh they also uh it was I don't want to say it was clear, but you certainly heard it when they were doing the player announcements, you know, for the starting lineup and Chris Archidiakono was announced. There was definitely a smattering of booze uh, mixed in with the cheers there on top of it. I'm a little bit surprised why this is being brought up now, because this isn't the first time that that's happened. It is not. Maybe it's the it was first the most, time. It was the most audible. I think, yeah, the most audible or the first time that Villanova's 
been home when Whitmore has been at his current level of play, what he really went past the 25 minute threshold and has been averaging you know 30 minutes a game the past few. I guess my 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 point here is that I don't think fans are wronging the Villanova culture by booing. I don't think it's personal to Archie Diacono because I think the I mean the full 40 I truly felt like us and them were on opposite sides of arch last year at this time and even they have been adamant about the positives that arch has brought to the program so if you have a head on your shoulders you know that he does offer some good i think it's just the the state of the program and i think arch is an easy scapegoat so i think it's almost giving the booing fans too much credit by saying that they're classless and wrong just by booing because i don't think it's personal to arch as much as just how the team is playing right now uh i may i may give them uh, a little credit here then when i go for it um i hate booing and that's that's how i feel and i know that many people will will disagree with it and give me that i'm a paying customer i can react how i want to totally understand but how i look at it it completely defeats the purpose of why i'm there for any specific event uh if i'm there for villanova i am there to cheer those guys on i i find it completely counterintuitive to boo my head coach or boo a players out there i can tell you all all you want about you know say chris archdiakono's deficiencies or or things i disagree with kyle neptune i do not boo him through that i don't think no. i've ever booed actually that is not true i booed once in my life at a sporting event and it was very specific it was game three 2015 national league division series the first game that the dodgers were back at city field after chase utley broke Rupin into hottest leg and you know what chase utley absolutely deserved that and i apologize <laughs> actually i don't apologize to all of our philly fan friends that are also villanova alumni here for it but otherwise just i will never ever get behind booing your own team i think it's completely pointless and think about it if you're a villanova recruit and you're at that game and you hear the fans that you could potentially play for are booing the head coach you could go play for and are booing one of their players. Do you want to play there? Because no, I wouldn't. It's a bad look. Yeah, no, it's a bad it, look. It's a bad look. So, you know, disagree with me all you want. Say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to boo these guys. I think it's completely pointless. And um, you do you. I don't yeah. mean you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can tell you that I am also not of the booing type. I think the uh, scenario that sums it up perfectly is Aaron Judge being booed in the playoffs before great. being offered $360 million to I come love Yankee back fans. to the team. <laughs> that was just plain weird. It's the same thing, right? This, this team just isn't used to losing. I guess that's my point. They're just frustrated by the system right now because it's mm -hmm. not something that they've seen in 11 years, really, since 2012. So, yeah, that's I you, guess that's my thought on it. Yeah. You could be frustrated. We're all frustrated. I mean, you listen but to these shows. These aren't overly positive shows by any means. We're not gonna, you know, sugar plum and, and raindrop or gumdrop, excuse me, what's uh what's going on with the team, but there's no need to uh to take it out like that with the players there. But yeah, that's my look at it. Uh John Paul May always coming in with our questions. Have you ever seen a division one coach essentially relegated to assistant status like Ewing was at one of those timeouts? Another huge talking point this oh week. Oh my God. I think it was Biggie's bar room that had the video that blew up for it. The last time I looked, it had 285,000 views. Wow. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, it's the last, I, be, I believe there's a, a minute left, maybe the last timeout that Georgetown had in the Villanova Georgetown game on MLK Day. Georgetown's down three. 
And it's a timeout. So all the guys are huddled in a circle. It actually goes to Villanova first. And Neptune is talking to three players very intensely. And then it pans to the Georgetown side. All the players are huddled around an assistant coach. And Ewing is actually standing over them, looking in and then looking out towards the court. So the whole chatter has been how a head coach does this. And of course, it's Ewing who should be in that position anyway and it's still a mystery why he has retained this position <laughs> um i think it's a little bit of wrong place wrong time it like is we've that's seen exactly him, what it is yeah we've seen him draw up the plays in 99 timeouts and maybe this was the one time that he didn't that game i don't think you ever see a shortage of head coaches talking to their assistant coaches. You see Neptune do it all the time. You see Coach Cal do it all the time. You see Tom Fido do it all the time. It's That's not un- infrequent. I think it was just kind of a, a random moment, and it's easy to pounce on it because it's Patrick Ewing, and he should have been fired last year. <laughs> no, that that's exactly what it is. It's only blown up because it's Ewing and all of the things that have gone around. This is if you don't call it common, it happens a decent amount. I mean, there are times with Villanova where I've seen Halkovich draw plays with Jay there and with Kyle this year. You know, it, it, it happens a lot. Sometimes head coaches are out talking to refs. Sometimes they're, you know, talking to players in it. And, you know, some of these assistants are empowered to be able, and the, in practice, they do a lot of the game planning anyway. So I think it just, it, it really blew up because it's Patrick Ewing. It's not as big of a deal as people as a lot of people made it out to be, this is something that happens across a ton of different programs a, a decent amount of time. Yeah, totally agree. Question two, and this is probably my favorite question we we got. Um, of all the new and old coaches in the Big East, which one would you like mic'd up for the entire game on one of those Fox Sports all-access games? Oh, yeah, we love the all-access games. You take this one first. So, I mean, how I looked at it when he said this by new and old, I took it as Big East history. And when you think about that, all of the incredible potential coaches to be mic'd up for a game. I mean, Calhoun, uh, Patino could have been fun. Uh, of course, Massimino, John Thompson. I mean, if it was Jim Beheim, my ears probably would have bled out from all of his complaining. Um, but I, you know what? I, I think what would be a really fun one would have been, of course, Bill Raftery. I was going to say at, at that, Seton Hall, yeah. And uh, Louis Conerseca from uh, from St. John's. I, those are two of the biggest characters, of course, to ever be in this conference. And if you mic'd the two of them up for a full game against each other, oh my God, it would be so good. Seeing how they interacted with each other would have been half the fun too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah I thought of Raft. I thought of Thompson. Cooley, I still think current, obviously, I would love to hear the way he talks to his team and the way he interacts with refs too. Uh, there are so many good ones. Yeah. I thought of Patino too. That would just be wild. I think that would be a, a different. And a little Providence Patino. To be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be fun. Um, question came in from David Letts. Is Cam really one of the top two or three players at Villanova right now? Interesting. Uh, I thought he was going to say like freshman in the country. Um hmm. Because I know that Tommy Godin wholeheartedly believes that. I do. I do think Cam is one of the best two players on Villanova. His grade reflected that based on expectation. I think talent-wise, he is far and away the most talented basketball player Absolutely. on Villanova's roster. Is he as integrated in the system as Caleb Daniels or Eric Dixon is? Of course not. Because he's been in the system for 
five months. He's been playing Villanova basketball for like two. <laughs> so I think that the talent oozes off the page. You can see it with your bare eyes, obviously. Uh, and that's why he will be one of the first one and dones in many, many years. But that doesn't mean that he's necessarily the most efficient or effective Villanova players because the Villanova system is really hard to learn so quick. I don't even need to answer it because I think you nailed exactly what I would have said there. Um, so all with you there. A question from Tom Zhang. We actually have two of them. Um, do Woo-hoo. you think, yeah, right? Do you think their Villanova's problems with defensive switches in games stem from a lack of 10 talented bodies to be able to run during practice? Mm. I hadn't thought about it that way before. How do you? It- it, no, not really, because it is interesting, you know, that this team right now is struggling to have bodies. I mean, you see it on that bench with the three injured players, with Angelo Brizzy transferring out. There's a real lack of available guys, and I think that's why you hear, you know, your Daniel Chefus and your Chris Jenkins are being, like, big parts of practice for, for Villanova uh, often to be able to help out the team here. So I... I think a, a lot of it really just comes down to, you know, A, the personnel, uh, and B, some of the changes that went through it, that there isn't that linchpin-type player defensively. There is not a Jermaine Samuels. There is not a Justin Moore. There is not a Colin Gillespie to hold all of those things together um, for it, and I think that's been a big issue. You know, I, I think that Jermaine Samuels, as much as he could drive you crazy on the offensive side of the ball, really didn't get enough credit while he was here for the versatility that he brought on defense and how important he was for the switching and everything that went into it. It's just a different makeup for this team. So yeah, I mean, it it is practice probably difficult for them right now. Absolutely. Cause there just aren't as many guys out there. Um, But I I think it more so has to deal with the changes that have happened to the program and and personnel. Yeah. It's, we talked so much at the beginning of the season about how unique this defense could have been because there are so many more athletic bodies but that hasn't seemed to translate into shutting down on defense. It's actually been one of the worst defenses that we've seen in a while. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Second question from him. What are your top picks from campus corner and do they change the later the night gets? Oh my God. Taking you back, huh? It's taking me back. So I'm going to the Philly game on Sunday, next Sunday. So I have to go to camp go because I haven't been since our, graduation pat the late mm-hmm. one the yeah, very late one <laughs> 21 yeah um i was always a big pizza person fair i never liked zilly fries i know that's extremely no i'm not a zilly fry fan yeah, too i didn't know that wow really my food. oh yeah. people are gonna come after us for that um, no my favorite thing was the moose tracks milkshakes those milkshakes, milkshakes at camp go were insanely good yeah, first off, fully support Campco. Campco, if you'd like to be sponsored or if you'd like to sponsor the State of the Nova Nation podcast, um, please DM me um, and we can <laughs> we can work that out. Uh, Campco's got, you know, obviously phenomenal stuff. I love their buffalo chicken wrap. Um, their their milkshakes are good. He said, I don't like their Zilli fries, but I do love their um, buffalo mozzarella fries are mm. fantastic. Anything hot um, is one of my favorite things. Uh, and then celebratorily uh after like my wonderful intramural teams would win a couple championships as we did um the fat cat was something that i could not get very often because i would die um but when you do get it you know mozzarella sticks french fries chicken fingers and hot sauce on a roll is um as cholesterol inducing as you would imagine it is but it's also amazing is your dad a frequent uh campus corner goer 
you know, he's been stopping there when he comes to the pavilion game. So I think he's just wow. looking for, for more options. Um, That's to, awesome. Yeah. So, but tweet us your, uh, your favorite campco meals. Um, cause Mac and cheese bites. I've never had them, but I've heard those are very popular. Too. Uh, can confirm those are fantastic. Wow. I'm really outing myself for how much campco I had during my time <laughs> at Villanova. The fried campco food. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And we finish things off with three questions from Jerry Quinn. Apologies to anyone who uh, submits questions after this. Um, but, have you recovered from the emotional whiplash from the Slater turnover to steal in the final minute of the game? It feels like emotional whiplash is the perfect way to sum up this season as a Villanova fan. It happened when Dixon took that last shot against Iowa State, and then Brandon Slater happened to be there to get the offensive rebound, and you couldn't tell if it was an air ball or if it was planned. And then it happened again with Slater when he had that horrible turnover. So, no, I haven't recovered. It feels like every game is going to have one of those moments, which it might help to just realize now so that you can try and equip yourself in the future. That's a fair answer. Uh, no, I haven't recovered as well, especially <laughs> the fact that I was there. Um, there were audible yells for me uh, when oh, both of God. them happened. Um, but man, it felt good when he kind of redeemed himself so quickly for the steal and the flush to uh, to Whitmore there. Um, so that, that was just a, a huge, huge play and showed some Villanova attitude. Get back up yes. and make a play after you make a mistake. Yeah. Does St. John's have any advantage on Friday's game after their big win over UConn? Depends on how much you believe in momentum. Amen. <laughs> I'm a believer in momentum. So, so I think St. John's is going to be a much tougher team than when Villanova faced them the first time around. Not just because of that UConn win, but because they've tinkered with that rotation. I agree with everything you said about stores and how he's developed. Soriano is a beast and Posh just gets more and more annoying the more times you play him. Well, I'm looking forward to when he graduates. I've had enough of Posh on on defense. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I I also run with uh, with momentum, and uh, it's at home. You know, it's uh, it's it's a tough game, but it uh, it's a great game. It's Villanova St. John's at the Garden. It's what you always love. Uh, Last time they were there, Villanova pulled off quite the comeback. If we do remember, with Brandon Slater putting the finishing touches on it, and finally, the best Girl Scouts cookie flavor and why? Oh, mine's Samoa by far. Coconut is the best i would eat coconut out of a bag pat <laughs> and i have i have eaten that's amazing yeah. that that's amazing i will go with the classic thin mints um yeah, they're just it's thin it's ice basic cream's really good i've never do you, what type of ice cream thin mint ice cream i thought you said cinnamon ice cream no, i was like no. whoa i've never had that one before <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I always go for the Thin Mints, especially if, you know, you, you freeze them or so. Ooh, those yeah. are, oh, they're good. They're good. So yeah. I, it's basic, but I'm going with it. It is basic, but no, they're good. They're good. The Thin Mint ice cream is really good. I just love the caramel and the chocolate and the coconut. Oh, so good. It's not a bad choice right there. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to hit? No, I'm excited for the game. Me and I'm too. excited for next week. Hopefully everybody liked this episode. If you agreed or disagreed with our midterm grades, we would love to hear it. And we're excited for next week because we're going to try and come up with some more ideas. So if you have any ideas, also let us know those because we want to try and mix things up again, up a little bit as we have more time between games. Yeah, exactly. Who says that there's it's a little bit of a low on the schedule right now and we just packed you with all this Villanova content, right? So Yeah, this has been a long episode. This might what, be one of our longest of the season. Pat. I think it might be. <laughs> it's what we do. But All right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com all season long for all your Villanova content. 
Follow the show on Spotify. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Enjoy the game on Friday, especially if you are going to the Garden and Nova Nation. That's a wrap.